I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to talk to director Dr. Rachel Ramist about shooting and shooting safely during COVID-19. She has done it, and we can't wait to hear about her experience. Then in our the craft and fame segment we're going to share the critically important test all of our projects must pass and this week's hollywood hack is a gift my husband and his sisters got their mom for her birthday this year it made her laugh and cry but first we have a couple updates we are officially selling our happier in hollywood Sillapint cups again yes oh my gosh it's so exciting we're working with ship station so we can handle everything without going to the post office it's made the process so much easier and safer and of course we love our cups so we're very happy we can finally get them out to you again. Yeah. So if you've already emailed us for going through those emails and responding with payment info, they're $25. That includes shipping. And if you haven't emailed us, but you want a cup, just shoot us an email at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Yes. Now, if you're a new listener and you haven't heard us raving about these cups, they're travel cups, they're BPA-free, microwave-safe, oven-safe, freezer-safe. You can't break them. They're so cute. Looking at them brightens our day, and you can see pictures of them on our Instagram feeds, at LizCraft and at SFain. Yes, Sarah, they're rainbow. I just want to mention that. They are. Our other update, Sarah, is you are about to leave for Minnesota for the next five months. I am. It is crazy at my house right now with the, like, boxes and packing and things that have to wait until the last minute. It's just, like absolute chaos, but I cannot wait to be there. Like, I just, I cannot wait. And it was cool because a listener named Anne, Anne with an E, like Anne of Green Gables, she wrote in and said we should call my part of the show Happier in the Heartland while I'm in Minnesota, which is a good idea. I love that. (laughs) You'll be happier in Heartland and I'll be happier in Hollywood. Yes. And we'll talk about all things 
Still all things Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure some Heartland will get in there, too. I'm sure we're going to so. hear about the Heartland. Indeed. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's getting back to work. For some people, at least. Not us. At least <laughs> not on set. Yes. Recently, there has been some shooting going on in Hollywood and beyond, and we happen to know a director who was on set directing just a few weeks ago, the amazing Dr. Rachel Ramist, and we want to talk to her about what it's like shooting in the time of COVID. Rachel Ramist is a college professor turned television director tapped by Ava DuVernay to direct Queen Sugar for the Oprah Winfrey Network. Since then, she's directed episodes of Greenleaf, Nancy Drew, and Roswell, New Mexico. Rachel She'll also has a background in producing and directing documentary content that's screened at South by Southwest, San Jose Cinequest, Slam Dance, and Sundance, and has aired on the CW, owned VH1, HBO, PBS, and internationally. She has a BA and MFA in directing from the UCLA School of Film and Television and an MA in Women's Studies and a PhD in Feminist Studies from the University of Minnesota, so cool, where the Rachel Ramist Feminist Media Center was named in her honor in 2009. Rachel, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Liz and Sarah. So before we dive into shooting and what it's like and how you felt being back on a set, we want to hear the story of how you came to direct on Queen Sugar because it was a life changer for you. You had a whole career going before that. Yes, I was a tenured professor at the University of Alabama and uh, mentoring students to break into industry. That really was my, you know, whole life was just teaching. I ran an arts organization and an amphitheater and various things. So I was still connected. And I was bringing students to LA to teach them about industry and have them meet folks. Well, I reconnected through a blog, of all things, with an old friend from what I call my rap life, because I used to <laughs> photograph, write for rap magazines, film, concerts, work for record labels, that kind of thing. And I had done a hip-hop documentary who Ava DuVernay was the publicist on. And so I knew her uh. from the scene because there weren't that many women. So, uh. like, it was, like, me and my crew of girls and her and her crew of ladies and uh -huh. connected through this blog after I wrote something about a film she had made for BET and then uh, reconnected. And she was like, you're in Alabama? What are you doing in Alabama? <laughs> and at the time, our family was there. We reconnected. I brought her to a class she spoke to my students. Then I brought her to campus for a film festival. Then she hired several of my students, their first PA jobs on Selma. Oh, oh that's so fantastic. Now all of those students are uh, working in industry, which is really, really incredible. And uh, out of the blue, she called and said, hey, girl, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, grading? Like nothing. Like I'm not <laughs> doing anything. And uh, she said, it's time. And it still hadn't hit me. I was like, time for what? And she said, it's time for you to direct television. You know, would you like to direct my show, Queen Sugar? Oh, my God. I have wow. chills. So I was a little silent. I was really overwhelmed because I wasn't, you know, I went to film school and I did that route. But I had a daughter who she is amazing. And it just, I had to pivot like life as a mom. And I became a single mom very, very young. I had to do things differently. And so I made mm -hmm. a full career and I wasn't planning how am I going to come back. I was just living and making and helping to foster, you know, the the careers of other young people. So 
out of the blue, changed my whole life. Wow. So you gave up a tenured professor position and moved to LA and now you're like officially a successful TV director. Yeah, it's a crazy story. But if you don't invest and believe in yourself, like who else is going to believe in you and why not? Like, why not? It, worst yes. case, like they can't take my PhD back. I can always right. teach and I'm still <laughs> teaching. Like now teaching is my side hustle in between episodes. But yeah, I, I went from Queen Sugar, Owen brought me back on Greenleaf. Then I booked Roswell, New Mexico on the CW. And then the CW brought me onto Nancy Drew. And I was shooting when we got shut down for this whole pandemic. So (laughs) it's incredible. I mean, Ava DuVernay is definitely one of our heroes because she really is changing the industry for the better. She just decided she was going to do it and she did it. I mean, you're an example of of how it can change. So it's fantastic. And she has, I believe, uh, given first episodes to 35 women directors. Oh, my God. Wow. 35. And Wow. It's my understanding that all of us are working, that everyone has booked a second episode or the next thing. It's really been incredible and a game changer for a whole group of us. Wow. And I am not going to cry. <laughs> I am a crier and I am not going to. We're going to pivot to shooting. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so you can't tell us what you were shooting recently, but what can you tell us about it? What are what mysterious things can we know? So it was a documentary style industrial. So it was a union DGA under the new media web agreement. So it was all following union rules. But an industrial is, um, it's not scripted television. It was a documentary style project, but on the scale of scripted TV. So Mm. big crew, lot happening. And we did follow what became the white paper sort of safe protocol. But it was those, the protocol didn't come out until I think my second or second to last day shooting. So (laughs) we did everything but testing. We should stop and explain what the white paper is. The white paper, can you explain what that is, Rachel? Yeah, so all of the unions, uh, my union is the Directors Guild of America, the DGA. And so the DGA and the other unions that represent all of the folks who work on the set, they got together. Every union has a committee that is like, this is what we need for our members to be safe on set. And so my union... Our, the head of our committee is Steven Soderbergh. So Steven and a whole group of others got together and then decided what directors and the director's team needs. Then the, you know, the gaffers, the grips, the, all the other unions that represent all of these folks got together. And then together they put together this uh, guideline called the white paper, the safer way forward or the safe way forward. And so it's how can we be safer, as safe as possible, filming in this new COVID world. Now, Rachel, what did you do to prepare for going on a set? Because I know you're like me. You're like hyper intense about every possible sanitizer, sanitizing, staying away, (laughs) masking, like you name it. So how did you get ready for reentering that environment? So... One little asterisk is before when I wrapped on Nancy Drew, that which shoots in Vancouver, I got on a plane and I came home and I didn't leave home, like not outside of the front door for eight weeks. So I had not left the house for wow. eight weeks when I got the phone call like, hey, are you ready to work? Hmm. And then I said, oh, no. Uh, OK, 
So I there I vague book posted like so if you were going to go back to work what would you need to feel safe so I first polled everyone I know and then folks were like you have to have this kind of mask you need this kind of thing my friend in Alabama has a really beautiful um, soap company and was making hand sanitizer so she sent me this giant jug of <laughs> hand sanitizer with a spray and this and that and. So I did research on different kinds of masks and face coverings. I learned the difference between a mask and a face covering. Mm. You know, I read every study that I could. I watched those videos about how the droplets spread. I just armed myself with information. And were people screened daily in any way? So at the facility that we were at, the company did the screenings. And they are high tech. It's a tech company. They did the full body temperature scans, and then we would have a questionnaire. But okay. there were no tests, like no testing. So okay. that was pre the the White paper guidelines now say you have to be tested. Like my daughter mm. is PAing on the safety team of a big budget television show right now, and she's already had three tests, and it's her like second, third day of of wow. working on set. Uh, wow. And she's just watching to make sure like the construction guys have their masks and nose covered and setting up, you know, chairs and those kind of things uh, socially distanced. And so she's had lots of tests. That's what shifted between when I was working, which was the month of June, to now is a lot of testing. But we didn't have any COVID tests. So if someone, if their temperature was high, they would not be allowed in and they would have to then go get testing. At that point, you had to sh show symptoms to get a test. Right. Wow. And now that has shifted, thankfully. Yeah. Rachel, talk about the color-coded pods. That's a big protocol that, that has been instituted since this began. So this was documentary style, and we were producing quite a volume of content. And so we had, I think it was something like 10 sets with 10 segment directors running at any given time. And so we all had color-coded lanyards. And so I was team green. And I would shoot Monday, no, I shot Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. There was one other green team director who did Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but the crew stayed the same. So we had, you know, two cameras and an AC and a DIT and all the folks, but everyone stayed in the color. And with that color, you could go down certain pathways. So it sort of cocooned walkways. So our set was the furthest in this direction so that people with other colored lanyards, security wouldn't let them to where we were. We would only be in the same spaces in big, wide open areas. So big hallways, big spaces in front of elevators, uh, lunch, those kind of things. And so every set was in a different space and every set had its crew that didn't move or change. The only thing that changed was what day it was, the A day or B day of which director, and then the talent that came in and everything else stayed the same. So if anyone got sick, which thankfully no one did, I heard there were fevers on one color team. Those camera guys got tested. They were fine and they were back to work. But everything was sort of these cocooned color coded pod sets, basically to minimize how many people yeah. are coming in contact with each other. I mean, it seems like it's going to add so much cost to shooting. Yes. I mean, the testing alone, I mean, it's it's kind of daunting just to think about having these protocols in place for who knows how long. The Television Academy did a really great panel called uh, DeCOVID, Decoding COVID Production or something like that. I'll share the link and you could put it in the show notes. 
That had folks from the studios, the kind of labor safety folks, union safety folks, and then producers who were working. And there was an indie producer who said that I think he's having to go back and ask for a 20% increase in the budget mm. of his smaller scale but cable shows because it to cover all the PPE. Like yeah. you have to have – my daughter has five masks that were issued to her. They're washable, but they're certified by that studio and every day she has to have a new mask on. Then she has gloves because she is touching high-touch surfaces. She's cleaning these surfaces for, you know, various things. And um, that times how many people plus all the crew having all the masks plus tests. And tests are not, you know, my daughter's first test was inconclusive. So then I said, oh, oh no, God. did I bring COVID home from this yeah. job? Like what? <laughs> but I've been home since the end of June. And I, you know, came back, I'm mostly safer at home, like one week, one once a week to, you know, social distance at the beach or, you know, a, one trip to Target with my <laughs> hand sanitizer spray. So anytime <laughs> I touch anything, yeah. uh, but, you know, you don't know. So her first test was inconclusive. She had a second test. She was fine. She started. And then today's her second day and her third. Uh, and they're doing the the nasopharyngeal tests, which are the kind of deep Tess. Mm, wow. wow. Not fun. She was like, mommy, I don't want to go to work. Oh. You know, she, you know, it's, she's worried and as she should be, I think that's, it is going to add a lot of cost. It's going to add a lot of time. And so, mm, yeah, which you know, is money in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think I do have friends that are heading to location very soon. And so they're thinking about, you know, particularly things like, blocking, shot lists, like how can we be creative but as efficient as possible? And everything is moving paperless. So iPads and, you know, using an app called Scriptation. So we're not going to do paper and we're going to just, you know, keep transferring all of our notes uh, with this mm. app. So every color script that comes out, everything is paperless because any surface that you're touching potentially has you know, as hot lava has the cooties. So, <laughs> and it's incredibly wasteful. Like the amount of paper every show uses is, is so it's wasteful. crazy. Yeah. So, well, of moving. course we're the writers and we use the paper all the time. Like we feel yeah. like for us, it's actually very important, but, I but know. you know, I like a hard on set we need, don't need it. Yeah. yeah I yeah, like yeah. a hard script. I like making notes. I actually do do, you know, my shot list and floor plans and everything you know, in my computer and my iPad, but I always carry a binder. And I like to just have paper of the day's work and check it off. And truth, yeah. that's the one thing I did on this job. So everything we were doing was like iPads and laptops. But I had a little notebook where I would keep notes about my takes. And then I would say, okay, well, I need to do this piece again. And But I never put it down. So it was either in my hand right. or I kept my bag right next to my chair. And I had a plastic bag inside of my backpack. And the notebook would go <laughs> into the plastic bag. And then I'd pull it out, make my notes. Then I'd get up, talk to talent. Because I didn't want to put it down yeah. on a table. Because again, Every surface is potentially hot lava. And then, of course, there's the question of how to protect actors, because everyone else doesn't have to touch stuff. Everyone else can wear masks and face coverings and gloves. But if you're an actor and you're on camera, you can't. And you also may not be able to socially distance from the other actor or actors that you're working with. So what kind of precautions were taken for actors? So... 
with this project, again, it was more documentary style. So the mm. talent would come in with their mask. We would have them sit. We'd adjust the heights of the camera, pre-light them, and then say, are you comfortable taking off your mask? When they'd feel comfortable they and everyone was back, we, we had them flagged off in a corner so that mm. everyone was six feet away. Anyone who came close to them had um, N95 masks plus face shields plus gloves. So if they were touching them or any prop that they had, uh, those folks, the sound person who put the lav, like they were completely covered in PPE. And then before the talent took the mask off, everyone was far behind these flags. And then we would finish uh, lighting. Then they would go to hair and makeup. We'd clear out the kind of walkway. Hair and makeup was in the next kind of pod, like a little separate office behind the set. And then they'd go get hair and makeup and come back without a mask, but no one would be in the pathway. Like they would make sure that it was completely clear. And so their interaction was limited. So again, this was a contained piece. What I'm hearing for set is that, you know, they're asked, the actors have to be without masks. And the white paper said, and actually Steven Soderbergh told me personally that we don't have to wear a mask because we're in the bubble of zone A of this mm -hmm. new zone system of A is, is the like cocooned protected bubble with actors and key crew members. And then B is the rest of the crew and C is the rest of the world. And in that A bubble, it's three times a week testing or more. So, mm. you know, some folks are, are making production now camp where folks are living on site, which... Right, Tyler you know, Perry is doing that, yeah. But that's really hard if you have a family. I mean, yes. you know, yes. leaving for two months and not being able to see your family. Yes, well, I think his schedule is also much quicker than we do in uh -huh. episodic. So <laughs> uh, I was speaking with someone who works on these productions, and she said the, that the first show they did, they did 22 episodes in two weeks. And I don't... That's not possible for the wow. kinds of shows I direct. It's going to take longer. Like what we're going to yeah. do now is probably more block shooting where there's one director doing many episodes. And so there are less people in zone A. So that it's a safer cocoon. I did talk oh. to a friend who is leaving for a show. She's going to do a 14-day quarantine and stay in a bubble. And she said she is going to direct in a mask working with the cast. It's a big, you know, network show. And she doesn't feel comfortable not being in a mask. And mm -hmm. the actor's you know, they're going to have to agree. There are soaps that are like Bold and the yes. Beautiful is in that TV Academy panel discussion. And uh, they, the line producer on that show talked about the, they did some really interesting things. So they used dolls for some of the like makeout scenes. They. <laughs> and spouses, right? They Didn't spouses. they bring in spouses? Yeah. They did. So, um, you know, but cause those shows. For stand-ins, right? Yeah. They use the spouses. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, so doing the best you can with what you can to be as safe as possible. That's that's what it looks like right now. Well, this is so interesting and so helpful for all of us who are just trying to picture how we're going to be able to work in this environment. As writers, obviously, we can do so much of our work on Zoom. But eventually, you know, production needs to happen for our city to thrive. So and it's happening. It's starting. Shows are coming back. And it sounds like it's um, smart and safe, but unfortunately, extremely expensive. 
Yes. Yes. So I think that may mean things like less episodes or, you know, less shows. Well, and there's always risk. I mean, even with all these precautions, you know, there's always risk. So yes, we mask up. We have to. And we wash our hands. We have to. And we pray for an effective vaccine that everybody gets. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You know, being thoughtful and mindful. So the thing is, you know, on the project I was on, the DP and I, like, naturally we're always together. That's just how we function. And so then I'd look at him and then we'd back away. And it was very (laughs) strange and awkward but there were moments where we got closer than six feet, just not thinking, like, because you're just yeah. so used to it. So it's really about being mindful and and paying attention to things we didn't have to pay attention to before. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so yes. good to talk to you. And we get to see you. Our yes. listeners don't. But <laughs> thank you for wonderful. having me. It's fun. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Coming up, we've got the craft and fame in which we discuss the craft of writing the versus break. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, Sarah, it is time for the craft and fame in which we discuss the craft of writing. Today, we're talking about one way we judge whether or not we want to take on a new project. That's whether we're going to go on a staff or run a show or develop a pilot. And that is, does it pass the do we want to talk about it test? Right. It seems totally obvious, but more than once we have been tempted to sign on to something. And sometimes we've been convinced like for weeks that we should do something only to realize that we have absolutely no desire to actually talk about it. (laughs) Yes, This came up because recently we were approached about the potential of doing a project, and our knee-jerk reaction was to pass. Yes. But the project, after we passed, kept cropping up in our conversations. Yeah, suddenly we were like, oh, well, there was this. We could do this. There's this idea. Like, we just kept talking about it. We kept having ideas about it. And then you realize, like, oh, wait a minute. There's obviously something about this that really appeals to us, that we really connect to, and that we really like. Yes. So now we've reversed course and we're actually pursuing this project because it does undeniably pass the do we want to talk about it test. Yes. And then conversely, there was a book adaptation and we love doing book adaptations and we were really into it. We went after it. We're all set. Like we're literally about to start writing the pitch. And then we found ourselves avoiding discussing it like we would start talking about it and then like 
the conversation would either just completely peter out and we'd find ourselves. It's so interesting how you can like feel it in your body. Like mm-hmm. we just feel like our shoulders slumping mm-hmm. and our bodies just kind of draining. And then you realize like, huh, I actually don't really want to talk about this at all. Yeah. I remember, I think I said to you one day, like, do we not want to do this? Because we'd start talking about it and then we'd be like, oh, well, we really should plan the next podcast or, oh, there's that (laughs) other thing we should probably discuss that's more pressing. Did you see this news story? Yes, exactly. I really wish I could get a haircut. I mean, like anything. Um, And so you, I think I said, do we just not want to do this? And we were like, no, we don't. And you were like, we should email the producer and just say we don't want to do it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so dramatic. (laughs) Um, But we did. It was hard. But I will say we felt so much better afterward. And ultimately, we've been so much more productive letting go of the thing that we don't want to talk about. It gives us way more sort of freedom and inspiration to talk about the projects we do want to talk about. Yes. I mean, and again, it seems so obvious, but somehow it's not. So, Liz, what makes a project something we want to talk about? Well, it has to be more than a cool concept. Like a cool concept is great, but it has to be something that allows us personally to sort of explore human nature and our own natures. Like it has to, we have to feel that pull, that connection. Yeah. And I mean, really important. It has to have characters that we can fall in love with, you know, layered, flawed, interesting. They don't have to be likable, as we've discussed, but they have to be interesting. And I think we weren't connecting to in that particular project. We were not connecting to the characters. Yeah. And I think we then started to try to contort the character into someone we would connect with. And then it just started to feel really false. Yeah. And it just, and we just couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Like we just could not wrap our arms around it. Nor and did we want to, <laughs> because we didn't want to talk about it. Maybe we if we really talked didn't. about it more, we would have. But the point is, we did not want to talk about it. But I also think, like, because often we'll sort of go through a lull mm-hmm. in wanting to talk about something. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll be super into it. And then there will be a lull. And then somebody will have an inspiration. And mm-hmm. then it comes back up. In this case, it didn't feel like a lull that was going to come back around. No. You know, no. it really was just a, this is somehow dead to us. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that lull comes because it comes at the time when you have to take a step forward because it's overwhelming. It's like, oh God, now we've had all this talk and we have to do something. Yeah. So then we kind of step away for a minute to gird ourselves for the next step (laughs) and then we come back yes but yes in this case we just simply did not want to discuss it and we haven't looked back it's not like one time we've said i wonder if that was a mistake we have just been as soon as it was gone we never thought about it again never and that's why this test is so important because like and we've been doing this for 20 years and we literally just crystallized yes wait a minute If we don't want to talk about it, we shouldn't do it. And if we do want to talk about it, we should. It's very simple. And yet, why did we take so long? 
We've probably had this revelation years ago and just forgot because <laughs> we always have the same epiphanies over and over. That's true. And it applies very clearly to TV writing, but I think it applies to almost every other job or activity for that matter. It's like if you don't want to spend time talking about law, you might not want to be a lawyer. <laughs> you know, I mean, for real, it's like talking shop or talking about a project is an indicator that it grabs you. That reminds me, I've been watching Indian matchmaking on Netflix, and one of the women is a lawyer. And she literally said, I have spent the last 10 years as a lawyer trying to figure out how to not be a lawyer. And she seems so miserable. So, like, take that as a sign. Indeed. If you don't want to talk about it, you probably don't want to do it. Coming up, we've got a Hollywood hack you can dance to for Versus Break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. I have to say this is one of my favorite Hollywood hacks ever. Hire a mariachi band. Yes, we are all looking for safe ways to celebrate birthdays and special events. My family, the Fierro side, hired a mariachi band for my mother-in-law Ramona's birthday. Now, I have to say this really isn't a Hollywood hack. It's more of a hack, although it's probably easier to hire a mariachi band in Hollywood than it may be in other places. I have to give all credit to my sister-in-law, Michelle, because it was her idea and she found the mariachi band. We hired an all-female mariachi band, the Mariachi Divas. We can link to them <laughs> in the show notes. What's great is it's really affordable. It is not as expensive as I thought it would be to hire a mariachi band. And it's the perfect socially distanced activity because they, so what we did is we told our mother-in-law that we're coming over. We're in the front yard. So she knew that like we were coming and Michelle was coming and a couple of other people, but then some other extended family came. Everyone sat at a distance on blankets or lawn chairs and wore masks. So we were in nice. masks and outside, on, you know, distanced. But then everyone was talking and she was so excited to see everyone. And then we hear music starting and the mariachi band was like walking from down the block a little ways and they suddenly appeared playing and they just stood on the sidewalk for an hour playing and they would take requests. And you said when she saw them, she burst into tears. Yes, she uh. was 
so it was so sweet. Um, and you know, mariachi uh, is a very kind of emotional thing for people of Mexican descent. It's got like a real pull. I personally love mariachi music. And you said the neighbors came out, yes. and it became just like a beautiful festive thing for yes. the whole block. Yes, it really was. And it's like in this time where it just there's so much drudgery and dreariness. <laughs> It just felt like so good to be like doing something that was joyful. It was communal, but at the same time safe. And it felt special. Like she'll remember that birthday forever yeah. because of COVID-19, you know, right. because it was so out of the ordinary. And, you know, one thing I was thinking, if you don't have mariachi bands in your community, you might have like a, a, a bagpipe player or a guitar player. It's just the idea of having someone who can come do music without having to plug in anywhere. That's key. Who can just kind of walk up and walk away. We Venmoed. So there was no even like, you know, exchange of money. Like it was just completely safe. Wow. You know what, Liz, that reminds me. I did that for my mom. And I think it was for her last birthday. I got a piano player. <gasps> To That's come to the place right. where she lived. I had totally forgotten. And, yes. you know, music with Alzheimer's, music kind of still stays with you. She loved it. It was so great. I forgot about that. Yes, getting like the gift of music. Yes. It always goes over well. So get a mariachi band. That's my advice. <laughs> and that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our wonderful guest, Rachel Ramis. You can follow her on Instagram at Doc Ramis. That's D-O-C-R-A-I-M-I-S-T. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation and email us if you want one of our awesome Sillipine Cups. Yes. Until next week, I'm Liz Kraft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Liz, did you feel the earthquake this morning? Well, I did. I thought it was a dream <laughs> until I then later felt two aftershocks. So I was woken up three times by earthquakes. Oh, my God. I, of course, went in to check on Violet, and she thought it was a dream also. Uh, <laughs> um, she was totally not scared, but our dog was terrified. But it was Cheesy short, is, right? I More know, but it was jolt. like, it was a jolt. But, you know, Cheesy's fragile. Yeah. From the Onward Project. <laughs>